Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of The Vegas Therapist. I am your host, Ryan Winder. And remember, what's happening in Vegas is not staying in Vegas, as I bring you helpful tips and all sorts of topic areas, with a Vegas twist of course. So let's get the show started. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of The Vegas Therapist. I'm your host, Ryan Winder. Thanks for listening. Uh, we got a good episode for you today, uh, but before we get into that, I just want to say, <clears throat> again, thanks for everybody's response, for your emails, your questions, your topics that you're sending me that you'd like to see on the show, um, and just want to say again uh, that um, definitely have some things in mind from, from your requests and some things lined up, so we'll be getting to those. I had a couple episodes already uh, lined up for the next couple weeks, so um, so you'll start to see some of the, your requests start to roll out after that. So anyway, but I appreciate that. Also, just wanted to mention again the opportunity to go and uh, rate the podcast on Apple. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to do that yet, go ahead and, and give us a rating and even a review on on Apple, so that that can bump up the listening. Uh, scales and it can get the get the podcast out to other people as as Apple will will recommend it to other people uh, as it sees that it has more likes and stuff so anyway uh, so if you could do that that would be great um, so today I kind of feel like today's uh, podcast is a little bit more like a public service announcement in some sense um, but obviously it's going to have a you know some good a good topic or a good yeah a good topic to it but uh i'm kind of approaching it in somewhat in a somewhat of that fashion like hey people just need to know that we need to know what we're going to talk about we need to get the word out about it and so hopefully that will be the case and um but today i wanted to focus in on male depression and you may think well why only male depression and not just depression in general and i just think there's a couple reasons for that. One is um, I did want to piggyback off of last week's episode where Mark, um, my guest Mark Jimenez, talked about his struggle with depression. And obviously he was a male, but that's not the only reason I wanted to focus on male depression. I just think you know that that men are still very much stubborn when it comes to getting help for depression and other mental health issues. Um, so I hope to reach that population that is still resisting. Um, you know the the reality is that more men experience depression than seek help so there's that gap there that we still need to try to fill and try to you know push along so that more men are willing to to reach out and get the help that they need um, and the third reason that I, I wanted to kind of do just focus on male depression is that it can be a little bit trickier to spot because of the way men hide it but also um, some of the things that they tend to focus on when they report um, or describe some of their symptoms. So um, I think if we bring awareness to that, it could help us if you're somebody, if you or somebody you know, uh, maybe struggling with it, just maybe having a better understanding with what to look for uh, can help to to spot it. So, but in regards to the, the signs and symptoms, uh, men definitely have a higher tendency than women to feel uh, anger, uh, irritability, also to demonstrate aggressive feelings and engage in substance abuse. Um, they also have, they also tend to use work 
as a shield um, by working longer hours. So in order to kind of buffer themselves from whatever they're feeling, they'll just kind of dive themselves into work. So that does happen. Um, other behavioral signs that men tend to have that we can spot is they will avoid family or social situations. Um, they may find it hard to, to keep up with work or family responsibilities. Uh, they can, in, in a more negative way, become more controlling or abusive uh, and also will just in general engage in more risk-taking behaviors, whatever that may look like. Uh, risky driving, stuff like that, um, gambling, other, you know, other type of risk-taking behaviors uh, that that are that can be obviously life-threatening. Um, one theory in relation to these behavioral changes uh, seems to suggest that uh, the the changes do occur, or the behavior changes occur as a result of men trying to mask their depression um, and adhere to the so-called masculine norms which is something that we're going to talk quite a little bit about is just the cultural and kind of masculine norms that are out there that really have shaped the way that men you know treat their depression or look at themselves in in the way of being depressed um it's again something that we need to you know try to work past and work through the attempt to uh to conceal a de um, depression though for men may cause them to then lash out or engage in these self-destructive behaviors. So, so on one hand, you have these, you know, them trying to conceal it uh, because of the, the the masculine norms, and then the result of that concealing, you know, results in these lashing out or or self-destructive behaviors. Because obviously they're not dealing with it in the proper way. Um, so so stuff stuff comes out in 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 negative ways or comes out sideways, I guess as I like to say. Um, men may also lose some, some other behavioral things, going back to that, some things to look for. They may lose interest in hobbies and passions. I think that's a pretty common one throughout depression. I think men and women feel that, you know, similarly. But also for men, it may affect sex drive and sexual performance. So just being depressed is going to take that away. Um, and like I said, kind of diminish that, that desire. So uh, as I mentioned earlier, men are more likely to, to wreck uh, to recognize or describe the physical symptoms they experience uh, from depression, things like feeling tired, losing weight, sleeping too much or too little, having headaches, digestive problems, uh, eating too much or too little. So again, all those things can be uh, physical symptoms that they experience that are related to depression. I mean, obviously they could be related to other things as well, but um, they do have a connection to depression also. So want to look out for those things, those behavioral and physical kind of symptoms, things that could be tipping us off to where maybe we are in that state or we're having um, depression issues that we're just not addressing or, or looking at. Um, so getting back to the, the more of the culture of the masculine kind of thing, we know that um, asking for help is not easy. Um, you know, and I think that, I mean, that can ring true for anybody, but especially for men. You know, it takes a great deal of courage, obviously, to reach out and, and ask for help. And unfortunately, uh, many men put off getting help because they think that they're supposed to be tough, uh, they're supposed to be self-reliant, and that they should be able to just manage whatever pain, you know, comes at them. You know, men are definitely not supposed to be vulnerable. Uh, pain is, is something that they are supposed to be able to rise above. And then, so then the opposite 
core, the opposite thinking is that those who are sort of brought down by their pain will most likely see themselves as be as shameful. So, you know, it doesn't feel like the manly thing to do to kind of give into that pain or to not be able to rise above it or get through it. Um, and so, you know, that I think that that leaves men those those cultural kind of norms leaves them in a in a in a, in a predicament of sorts in terms of when they are feeling down, when they are feeling like they need to, to, to reach out for help or they don't feel like they can deal with whatever's kind of going on and, um, you know, how that's going to be perceived or how they're going to perceive themselves even by just simply asking for help. So I want to share a quote from a book that I was do, that I was reading during this process and kind of doing some research in. The book is called I Don't Want to Talk About It, Overcoming the Secret Legacy of Male Depression. It's by Terrence Real. Um, so it, it, and I'll, I'll kind of mention it again later, but that, that's, um, it's been a good resource for this podcast and kind of using some of the information that he brings out in the book. But in the, in the book, he said, traditionally, we have not liked men to be very emotional or very vulnerable. Thus, um, as a result of that, a depressed man will be depressed about his depression. Because again, it's not something that, that we want to see, or at least that we've wanted to see in men, is see them be emotional or see them be vulnerable. Um, obviously, I think that that's changing and, and things are different or are different in some sense, but there's still a lot of those same norms out there. And so, so unfortunately, men will then be depressed about their, about their depression. So in turn, many men would ultimately rather place themselves at risk than acknowledge their distress because they just don't want to have that stigma of being weak or being less than attached to them. Um, so they just try to try to push through it. Um, I, I know for myself, I don't know how many times, you know, I've used the word vulnerable in a session with my male clients and have gotten some kind of cringe or twitch or weird look, kind of like they're just, you know, they're saying to me like, what are you talking about? What is, what is this vulnerable thing or what? what do you mean by that you know and and obviously or they're kind of like put back by it or a little you know uncertain about how to to think about vulnerability so it's definitely something that um you know i think men in general you know obviously there's there's exceptions to the rule but men tend to kind of be apprehensive about when you when they think about being vulnerable i think for many men the idea of being vulnerable too is it, it is difficult um, you know, men in general, you know, I think as we, if you have any experience with husbands or spouses or whoever, that you'll understand this, that they tend to wait longer to acknowledge that they're sick, to go to the doctor. I know I've been guilty of that. Um, and I mean, ultimately those things probably factor into them having a shorter lifespan, um, because we just don't go get treatment quickly or, or soon enough. Um, Another big frustration with male clients, for me, I know, is that once they do get help, they tend to not comply with the treatment recommendations. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, that's whatever, da-da-da, that's nice, but I'll try this other thing, or I'll do something else, or maybe I'll try it for a couple of days, but then I, and I won't do it. And that's really um, specific to their taking their medic medications. And in particular, if they do get help with, like, say, an antidepressant, or they're prescribed an antidepressant. I've seen so many men like, oh, they try it for a couple of days, oh, it's not working, or oh, da da da, or I don't like this side effect, or da 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 da, whatever it might be, and then they just, you know, they go off it. Um, so, you know, like 
when I'm in, when I'm dealing with male clients, sometimes I feel it's like this constant battle between myself and them trying to convince them, you know, why their meds are important or why taking them is important and especially being consistent with them is important. And then also even why counseling can be helpful or beneficial. Um, and again, it's not with everybody, but there are a certain group of, of males that that feels like that that's all the case with that you're that you're battling those those norms that they feel inside or the things that they feel like being a man doesn't represent, and and so it can be a real struggle. So you know, culturally, obviously, men like we've been talking about, many men are still stuck in that mindset, you know, that keeps them in shame. Um, and so they don't seek out help. Um, I will admit, you know, that as we kind of look at that, it's like, you know, it's just something that it, it does permeate out there. And, and, and so we have to, you know, that's one of the bigger things that we have to be mindful of. And I think as far as, you know, cultural kind of dynamics go, you know, for me, I, I think when it comes to things like media, I don't always really pay too close attention to, you know, some of the subtle messages that, that, that come out through movies or television, you know, whatever kind of media it may be. Um, you know, I just, I don't know, I just don't really think too deeply sometimes into those things. Although, I will say this is on a side note. Um, um, I was watching Rambo First Blood the other day, and uh, it was on TV. It just kind of caught my attention. It uh, brings me back to my childhood watching Rambo with my brothers so anyway I got caught up in in watching Rambo but I thought it was interesting because you know one of the things that in that movie that it really that there's there's a couple different scenes like when he's first in the in the if you're familiar with Rambo um, when he's first in the in the um, when they take when the police take him into the to the jailhouse or the police station whatever and he's having a couple of those flashbacks as the police are doing something to him and then he's having flashbacks when he was a prisoner of war and he was being you know tortured or whatever um but i just thought in my mind i like i saw that scene in a whole different way i was like okay so sylvester stallone's talking about ptsd or dealing with ptsd and in a time when that movie came out i don't think ptsd was really much of a topic or a thing but here he was kind of giving the basis or the foundation of like a soldier having PTSD and kind of what that might like or what that might look like in the real world now that he's away from war and how those triggers could happen. So anyway, I know it's a side note, but I just thought that was interesting how, you know, um, how that got portrayed. So anyway, back to the media thing. I know it's a little tangent, but I thought it was an interesting dynamic. But um, so in relation to male depression, Terrence Real talks about this idea or this this shift from shame to grand grandiosity and it's really it's the idea that we can go from a, a low place in life to being a hero kind of like in an instant you know that we just like kind of with the snap of a finger is we can go from shame to grandiosity or just kind of living large or being a hero or doing something great and so it kind of like you know gets into our mindsets that oh okay that's nothing like anybody can do that or that's not a big deal and this is something that he talked about as kind of, you know, being portrayed by the media for men that they're able to do um, and that men kind of get portrayed in this fashion, uh, like it's being able to kind of have this ability to do such a thing very seamlessly. And so I got to thinking about some of the things, some of the examples he was given, and I was just thinking about, 
kind of the movie Superman and really in some sense how the mov movies like I guess you could say movies like Superman work against us or in some sense are our enemy in relation to males and, and cultural norms and values and when you think about it again from a media perspective and maybe some subtle messages you have Clark Kent who is weak and clumsy and nerdy and yet in an instant he simply tears off his clothes and becomes Superman and now he's strong and heroic and can take on the world and you know basically do whatever he wants to do and and be a, you know be seen as this great wonderful hero and I think sometimes when you use the analogy of men in the world it's like okay so you're dealing with this maybe difficult thing or these feelings of you know sadness or feeling down but it's like the expectation is like hey you just get up get out of bed and just kind of throw that away and just go out and face the world and you're supposed to be able to conquer it and not have any problems you know like it's just no big deal you know like those things that were a part of you or might be dragging you down like just toss them to the side and just move forward and be the hero that you're supposed to be and so I think that image or that sense of like what you're supposed to do really again conflicts with people when they think about the idea about getting help or when they feel like they're not able to um, be the hero and so so kind of using that as the premise for this this thought that I had so when men are faced with the dilemma of not being able to be the hero in their own lives not only do they feel more shame but it can be more of a reason to not appear weak and and seek help they simply just need to work more or or they need to turn to more substance to deal with their pain um, you know again so it's an it's another message that they they, they hear that's that tells them that being weak's not okay and so what does that do it just I mean obviously it compounds the problem right like if they don't feel like they can be the hero in their own lives you know it's just like well just gotta suck it up work more drink more do whatever more just to push down that pain because I can't let that pain get to me so anyway I you know and I think part of the in dealing with that as men is that we just have to be able to make that shift in that mindset it's like you know being a real hero means you know getting the help that we need especially for our families you know if we can get the help we need we can be a better spouse a better husband because you know if we're drinking too much or if we're working too much or if we're engaged in some of those other behaviors I mentioned like we become controlling or abusive or agitated or whatever you know we're not being our best selves and we're not being the type of people that we want to be and you know for our families and then that just makes us feel worse and so again the shame compiles there as well too so it can become kind of a vicious cycle for us you know by just not you know reaching out and getting the help that we need um, so in relation to substance abuse I just want to kind of touch on a little bit about the combination of depression and addiction just really um, you know quickly but I think when when you think about a depressed man and his connection to the object of his addiction is when that's undisturbed people you know he will feel you know a man will feel good about himself um, but when that when his connection to that thing is disrupted you know when the cocaine runs out the credit cards reach their limit the affair ends or there's you know that then his sense of self worth will plummet and his hidden depression 
um, you know, begins to unfold. But as that happens, you know, the withdrawal from those things or from those things that have made him feel good drive him back to the drug, the achievements at work, the next sexual conquest. And so, you know, and then, and obviously that maintains the cycle in itself. So oftentimes the reasons for self-medicating may involve, you know, the enhancement of self-esteem, regulating our feelings, or at least pushing off pain or difficult emotions. And another reason to do that is to to just to have us, to be able to self-soothe. Um, addiction also pulls the person from a feel, from a place of less than to better than, um, you know. So if we're we, again, if we're stuck in our shame, you know, then it helps us to feel better, better as a person, um, and so we're drawn to it for that reason. So anyway, I just wanted to touch on the fact that you know the the connection between depression and addiction is very real, and it's something that um, you know we need to be uh, mindful about. Uh, you know, and that it's it's not it's not easy to just you know look at somebody and they, you know it's easy to maybe see their substance use as something, but you know the the fact of the matter is is that there can be um, uh, there's there can be a lot more going on there than just them drinking too much or doing drugs or whatever it may be. Um, there's there's a lot of other things going on there, so. Um, Uh, I think it's also important to point out too, in relation to male depression, is that obviously there's a you know oftentimes there's a partner or spouse that's in the midst of dealing with this and um, or is on the other side of dealing with it, and um, those that are in a relationship with a depressed person, uh, they're often they often find themselves faced with the painful dilemma of do they confront their partner and potentially risk furthering their shame or do they collude with them and in minimizing what what's really going on and so you know this isn't really you know this isn't an easy spot for the the partner either um, but I would encourage you to be strong um, and um, and if you see these patterns to encourage your partner to get help because I mean that's really the only way out of it and um, is for them to seek help and to get what they need from it so um, yeah there might be some initial shame that they feel um, but you know ultimately getting the help they need is going to be better in the long run so um, so one of the things I want to talk on or talk about just really briefly before I go into um, talking about healing and getting help more so is that I want to touch on the notion of suicide for a bit Um, you know in my 16 years as a counselor uh, I've lost four clients to suicide, you know, and all of those clients were males. And so, you know, the the ratio, if you want to call it or whatever, obviously is is definitely higher on the male side for me. Um, now, you know, a couple of those those clients happened after you know one session, and so, you know, I think you know as far as like frustration or not frustration, but maybe guilt or whatever that I had over that. Um, was limited because, you know, I don't know if they were really being honest about where they were at during those initial sessions. Um, one of them was, I think, after about three sessions, and they were in like a, um, a a program that I was in in my first, you know, my first job, and they were, it was like forced counseling because they were in a DUI program, and he just recently, um, 
I guess was getting was in a separation with his wife and uh, and dealing with that dealing with being in this program for DUI um, but again all the signs were that he was pretty hopeful he had paid six months in, in advance on his rent because him and his wife just split his their, uh, split the commission on their house or the you know that they sold when they got divorced and stuff so anyway he was doing some things that was that seemed like he was planning on being around for a while and so Anyway, but um, apparently he decided he didn't want to live in that state anymore of being away from his wife, and he ended his life. Um, but I think the one that gave me the most trouble was a guy who I'd worked with on and off for probably a couple years, you know, and I, I think he fit, part of him fit, the you know, the classic model of much of what we've talked about. You know, he didn't like to really be in treatment, um, but his wife was pretty persistent about him being there and and making appointments. She even came to to various appointments at different times. Um, you know, I don't. I know he didn't want to feel like he was weak or he needed the help. Um, you know, I, he'd also be sporadic with his meds. You know, he'd be consistent with them for a while and then he'd stop and then he wouldn't think that they were helping and different things. And he changed and tried different ones. Um, you know, and sometimes we'd see each other bi-weekly sometimes we'd see each other once a month you know but it would always feel like it was a pushback like on the frequency thing like if I wanted to if I thought we should if he was in a place where we should meet weekly he would you know want to push it to two weeks if I thought we should go every two weeks he would maybe push it to a month um, and so there's just like that constant battle within himself about you know him struggling with just with the idea of needing help um, and mind you, this was a great guy. He, he had a beautiful wife, four kids. He had a successful business, um, which in some sense, you know, I think made him feel worse, you know, uh, because at times, you know, he, I think it was like he thought to himself, what did he have to really be depressed about? You know, he had all he needed and, and more. And I think, you know, obviously depression doesn't work like that you know it doesn't take an inventory of all the good things that we have in our life and just says and just says well I'll be on my merry way you know there's too much good here so I don't need to bother you you know it just doesn't it does not work like that and so I think for him you know shame built up being depressed about being depressed like I mentioned before you know not being able to be the hero in his own life like I think he wanted to be and I guess just all those things added up, and one day he decided it'd be better to just end it, and so he did. And so that was that was a really a gut wrencher for me, you know, in dealing with that because again he just was such a good guy. He was a funny guy, you know. I enjoyed our sessions together. We we talked. We had good sessions, you know. I mean, again there was there was that that challenge there still with him, but you know, I mean it was still we still would have good sessions and. And so it was it was disheartening and saddening and and frustrating all at the same time to kind of you know see that he still in the end just felt like you know that that was a better answer than you know than I guess pushing through and getting help and accepting that maybe he would need that help forever I don't know you know and um, and it's hard to know I and mean, some of those things we don't have the answers for because you know they're not they're not here to share that with us anymore but but you know I know that there's countless stories of men with similar di dynamics you know a client this last week told me about his friend who recently did the same thing and had the same story wife four kids good job good family he just came back from a good vacation 
and then the next day he killed himself. And so, you know, it just doesn't always make sense and it's, you know, it's hard to kind of wrap our minds around it at times, but, you know, it does happen. And I think for, for men to be able to get the help they need, you know, we need to be more proactive in, in, in encouraging, whether it's people that we know or people that we see, um, to do that and to, to reach out for that help um, that, they're, that they ultimately need at some point. And, you know, I think that, you know, I don't, you know, it's hard to know, like, how many lives we might save by just being encouraging and by willing to, you know, reach out to people and people that we think might be in need of it. All right, so how does one begin to heal depression? Um, I think the first thing that the individual needs to recognize is that healing requires a confrontation with rather than the avoidance of one's own feelings or issues. Um, We can no longer skirt them or get around them, but we have to confront them head on. And with that comes the acceptance that we cannot merely vault over the the avoided pain directly into a state of wholeness, even though as hard as many men try to do that or want to do that or hope that they can do that, it just doesn't work that way. And, you know, and I hear things in, in sessions like, well, maybe I could just, or what if this might work? Or what if we don't have, you know, what if we don't have to do this? Or maybe we can just do a little bit of this or whatever it might be. But it's, it really does come down to you have to go directly through that pain. Um, and then once they resolve to take up that journey and to, you know, start that process, you know, therapy and healing can truly begin. Now, of course, you have to get rid of the addictive defenses. You have to be willing to address dysfunctional patterns that have been created and also a commitment to dealing with any buried like early trauma Uh, that has to be sorted through and be released as well uh, because that can be contributing to the depression that that's there. Um, I think when you go back to some of the dysfunctional patterns that that need to be attended to, one of the most prominent dysfunctional patterns that I see with men is that their relationship with themselves has been damaged. Um, You know, the, the question or the thought might be, you know, what kind of relationship does a man have with himself? And often, often in the case where depression exists, the self turns against the self, if that makes sense. And so... You know, this can even be looked like like a self disorder um, that that one experiences, and so there has to be repair done on the self, meaning whether that's self esteem, self worth. Um, you know, a lot of times there's a lot of shame present, and so learning how to to recognize that shame and break through it and not let it continue to damage your sense of value and worth is important. So work has to be done in, in regards to that. And like I said earlier, with the idea of being depressed over being depressed or feeling shame because I can't be the hero that I want to be. I mean, all those things, you know, you're beating yourself up along the, on the way as you're doing that. So you're damaging your sense of self, you know, with those thoughts and with those feelings. And so that has to be reconstructed and rebuilt um, to help with the healing. Um, Some of the challenges can be, you know, again, in maintaining healthy self-esteem it can be difficult to um, exercise self-care but you know that is that's something that's critical to healing is developing good self-care habits um, and maintaining that also 
during depression, there's difficulty sustaining connection to others, and so that's something that's important to healing as well. Um, I, th I don't think we often think about this when it comes to depression, but I know many of the men that I see have isolated themselves from friends and family, and they lack that, that sense of connection with other people. Um, and those connections need to be reestablished. So I know f when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about some of the most powerful work I've been involved in has been in men's groups that I used to run. And during, in those groups, I, I was able to see uh, men connect with other men and be vulnerable and share feelings. And it's really a powerful thing when you see that on a very raw level, how you know, men are working through that vulnerability and they're dealing with their emotions and they're, they're reaching out to other men and they're sharing and they're talking and they're opening up and, and just, you know, you just see the healing happening as they're able to, you know, let down their guards and express themselves and, and, and you know, share a lot of these things that they, they don't feel like they can share on a daily basis or they feel like that they have to keep that shield up. And so when they're in those groups and they, they hear other people open up. I mean, it just gives them that sense of permission to do so. So a lot of powerful work can be done in, in those types of groups and those types of settings. And again, it also allows them to develop, uh, develop connections with other people, which is important to their healing as well. Um, so, you know, bottom line though, is it really does take a lot of work to heal depression in our lives. Um, and my hope is, is that, you know, with this podcast, with this episode is that if you, if you're listening to this or if you know somebody that may be struggling with depression that you'll share this episode that you'll encourage them to seek help and just as a starting point for them to kind of maybe have that nudge in their lives to to seek that out um, some of the things I want to mention you know one of the books that in my men's groups that we used to read and we'd kind of use as a reference for you know kind of working through stuff was the knight in shining Ar armor and basically the knight in shining armor is one big analogy of how men see themselves in relation to the world and what they feel like they have to do and how they have to keep this armor on and keep themselves protected, not only from the world, but really from the w people that are close to them and, and how difficult it is for them to take that armor off or feel like they can take it off and be vulnerable and be open. And so that's just more of a good read, just to kind of more of an analogy of kind of life and, and how men feel in relation to those things, but also how keeping that armor keeps them disconnected from things like family and uh, friends that you know can be important to them but that that armor you know gets in the way of that so anyway it's a good read um, it's it's a quick read it's not it's not a very long book but it's a, it's a good resource and then obviously the book that I've referred to a couple different times Terrence Reel's book um, uh, the male depression book and then uh, that's that's a good one as well um, also, I'll give some links to this on my Facebook group, Ryan Winder, the Vegas Therapist Podcast. It's a Facebook group now, so you can look to join that and look for tips and different things. I've been posting some videos and some other things on there, some quotes and different things. So if you're interested in that, join that group. Um, you'll have access to some of those things, and then I'll, I'll share those resources as well. But, um, you know, I think the biggest thing, again, just to come from this episode, like I said before, just trying to view it as a public service announcement. This is our opportunity to, you know, try to break these cultural norms and, you know, not be afraid of dealing with, you know, depression in any way, whether, really whether you're a male or female, it doesn't really matter. There can be some challenges in asking and reaching out for help, whether we feel like we deserve it or whether we feel like, 
you know, it's something that really we can do. Um, we need to be able to push through that and ask for the help that we need. And again, if you know somebody or, or you know, have a spouse or a partner or whatever that's struggling with this, it's a good opportunity to, you know, to reach out to them and confront them and, and really try to help them help themselves to get some help, you know, with this, with, with what they may be struggling with. So anyway, um, that's the, the episode for today. Thanks for tuning in and listening and hope it's been helpful in trying to understand this, you know, the male depression dynamic and hopefully we can be better at identifying it and also, you know, reaching out for help if we need it. And uh, I will see you next time. Thanks again for tuning in. I'm Ryan Winder, The Vegas Therapist.